Our communion meditation is from Numbers 11, and I'll read from verse 4 through 34. So Numbers 11, verses 4 through 34. Now the mixed multitude who were among them yielded to intense craving. So the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish which we ate freely in Egypt, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our whole being is dried up. There is nothing at all except this manna before our eyes. Now the manna was like coriander seed, and its color like the color of bdellium. The people went about and gathered it, ground it on millstones or beat it on the, in the mortar, cooked it in pans, and made cakes of it. And its taste was like the taste of pastry prepared with oil. And when the dew fell on the camp in the night, the manna fell on it. Then Moses heard the people weeping throughout their families, everyone at the door of his tent. And the anger of the Lord was greatly aroused. Moses also was displeased. So Moses said to the Lord, Why have you afflicted your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight, that you have laid the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I beget them, that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a guardian carries a young nursing child to the land which you swore to their fathers? Where am I to get meat to give to all these people? For they weep all over me, saying, Give us meat that we may eat. I am not able to bear all these people alone, because the burden is too heavy for me. If you treat me like this, please kill me here and now, if I have found favor in your sight, and do not let me see my wretchedness. So the Lord said to Moses, Gather to me seventy men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people, and officers over them. Bring them to the tabernacle of meeting, that they may stand there with you. Then I will come down and talk with you there. I will take of the spirit that is upon you, and will put the same upon them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with you that you may not bear it yourself alone. Then you shall say to the people, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, and you shall eat meat. For you have wept in the hearing of the Lord, saying, Who will give us meat to eat? For it was well with us in Egypt. Therefore the Lord will give you meat, and you shall eat. You shall eat not one day, nor two days, nor five days, nor ten days, nor twenty days, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you, because you have despised the Lord who is among you and have wept before him, saying, Why did we ever come up out of Egypt? And Moses said, The people whom I am among are six hundred thousand men on foot, yet you have said, I will give them meat that they may eat for a whole month. Shall flocks and herds be slaughtered for them to provide enough for them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them to provide enough for them? And the Lord said to Moses, Has the Lord's arm been shortened? Now you shall see whether what I say will happen to you or not. So Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord, and he gathered the seventy men of the elders of the people and placed them around the tabernacle. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took of the spirit that was upon him and placed the same upon the seventy elders. And it happened when the Spirit rested upon them that they prophesied, although they never did so again. But two men had remained in the camp. The name of one was Eldad and the name of the other Medad. And the Spirit rested upon them. Now they were among those listed, but who had not gone out to the tabernacle, yet they prophesied in the camp.
And a young man ran and told Moses and said, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. So Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, one of his choice men, answered and said, Moses, my Lord, forbid them. Then Moses said to him, Are you zealous for my sake? Oh, that all the Lord's people were prophets, and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. And Moses returned to the camp, both he and the elders of Israel. Now a wind went out from the Lord, and it brought quail from the sea, and left them fluttering near the camp about a day's journey on this side, and about a day's journey on the other side, all around the camp, and about two cubits above the surface of the ground. And the people stayed up all that night, all that day, all night, and all the next day, and gathered the quail. He who gathered least gathered ten homers, and they spread them out for themselves all around the camp. But while the meat was still between their teeth, before it was chewed, the wrath of the Lord was aroused against the people, and the Lord struck the people with a very great plague. So he called the name of that place Kibroth Hatavea, because there they buried the people who yielded to craving. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray that you would uh, awaken our minds, uh, open our eyes, that we can see what it is that you would have us to learn from this. We thank you, Father, for their example. In Christ's name, amen. That is a lot to read, and yet it is uh, filled with a lot of details, and so I could go on, I could easily turn this into a complete sermon, and uh, yet we're not going to do that. Uh, I'll try to make it brief. This is the 10th in a series, the wilderness series. This is the 10th message showing how the Israelites coming up out of Egypt complained to Moses and complained to God. And just last time we spoke about them being rebuked with fire when they were complaining after having to move a three days journey. They'd been sitting there for months and then they had to move only three days and then God sent fire upon the fringes of the camp. And here they are yielding to craving for meat. And so now manna is described here, and it's beautiful. It sounds delicious. It's wonderful. It's a pastry made with oil. It's beautiful to look at. It's beautiful to eat. Yet that's all they've been eating for a while, and they're tired of it. And so they're voicing their discontent. And this discontent has even affected Moses. And he complains to God. And he says, God, if you love me, kill me now, because I can't deal with this. So he's pleading for God to strike him dead. Yet God has other plans. He solves problems a little differently than we do. And uh, so he says, I will do this. And first he solves Moses' problem. Because Moses is the leader, he wants Moses to be leading. And so he solves his problem by promising him that he will provide him 70 elders, 70 helpers. And so he then promises that he will give them a month's worth of meat to eat. And Moses then openly doubts God, challenging him in, how can you do this? Even if we slaughter all of the beasts we have with us, we won't have enough to feed even the men. And so God rebukes him again for his faithlessness. And then Moses acts in obedience. Now, he's not acting at this point, it would appear, in faith, in great faith, that God can do this. He has no idea what's going to happen. But he is following God direction. And so he's acting in obedience to God, if not in faith. And at least if we lack faith, we should be acting in obedience. So then God sends the quail. The quail cover the ground up to a height of three cubits. We know that, or two cubits, we know that to be about three feet. And it says all around the camp, 
and in either direction for a day's walk. And so that's probably about eight to ten miles, I would think. So you're talking about billions and billions of quail that God has sent in upon this people. And uh, there is a commercial now that's popular on TV uh, by Geico where a man in his garage rubs a, rubs a thing and a genie pops out and the genie asks, what, you, what is your wish? And he says he wants a million bucks. And then suddenly there are all these deer standing around his lawn and in the neighborhood. And, and can you imagine a million? I mean, when I see that commercial, it's funny, but then I think I'm looking at maybe 200. A million. I mean, it must be covering his neighborhood and his city for miles around. So see, God did this. He brought these millions, billions of quail in and buried these people in quail. They were up for a day and a half collecting them all, harvesting them all, and allowing all this harvested meat to be around them such that they could eat it. And God said that there was this wind. The Word says that there was a wind brought up. So see, the Bible often points to physical means to achieve something. When they crossed the Red Sea on dry ground, it said that God had had this wind prevail all night and separate the sea. But yet, that's supernatural wind. That's not natural. He might use a physical means, but he's surely doing it in a very supernatural way. And here we have the same thing. And where did these billions of quail come from? We don't know. But what is the purpose? What is the intent behind this story? And really, what is the intent behind all the stories I've been sharing with you from the Wilderness series? There is a theme here, isn't there? And the theme is that temptation will always be there. And we will be overcome by it unless we are relying upon God and upon faith in God to fight temptation. Let me read, and actually uh, Pastor Kaiser alluded to this, uh, I don't know, I think it was last time, but maybe the time before. But after I'd finished one of these on the uh, Wilderness series, he alluded to this text. I'm going to read to you from 1 Corinthians 10. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food, and all ate, drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And do not become idolaters, as were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality, as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain, as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Now, I'll share the text that I'm sure all of us know. No temptation has taken you except such as is common to man, but God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So God has a sovereign plan for each and every one of us here. 
He knows the day we were born. He knows the day we will die. He knows every path that we'll take through this world. And yet, each of us will have very different experiences, but yet there is going to be a theme to all of our experiences. And the theme is one of temptation. Temptation to take a road that drives you away from God or into God's arms. You will be forced to make decisions that are beyond your ability, beyond your strength, beyond your moral fiber. And so at that point, you're called upon to rely upon God, not on your own strength. You have to go beyond your power to overcome that. And that's what's meant here. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. But God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but will with the temptation make a way of escape. So see, all throughout that verse, God is present and you are relying upon him. You're not doing it yourself. That's why we fail. That's why that verse is so hard to believe and to uh, accept as having been a reality in our walks because we often fall to temptation, don't we? Yet, we don't rely upon God. It's God who overcomes temptation. It is Christ who has defeated evil. The last verse in our text that I read was verse 34. And it was this. So he called the name of that place Kibroth Hataeva, because there they buried the people who had yielded to craving. And all of our Bibles will have a comment at Kibroth Hateva, and it says, Graves of Craving. All these people died and were buried because of their lustful cravings. We must rely upon God to give us strength in times of temptation. And far too often we don't. But the table is here to remind us of the strength, not of us, but of Christ. It's his body and his blood that are here, not our own. And so as we come to temptation in the week ahead, let's cast all of our cares upon God. Let's admit our failures. Let's admit that we are weak and that yet when we are weak, he is strong and able to take us through these temptations just as they faced. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the fact that you are all-powerful and that the paths through this world for each of us will take us to places that are beyond our strength, at least to get to uh, in our own strength. So, Father, we pray that you would strengthen us for the walk ahead, that you would allow us to see and overcome the temptations that we'll face through your power. We thank you, Lord, for faith. We thank you for Christ and for his sacrifice and for his success on our behalf. We ask you now to be with us, to have us enjoy this uh, wine and bread in your honor, celebrating his victory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.